Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the fiscal, financial, and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're talking about battling burnout with Colleen Best, DVM, PhD, CCFP. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Decra Veterinary Products. Dr. Best's PhD research focused on relationships in equine practice, including veterinarian client and referring veterinarian specialist communication. Dr. Best operates her own business, Best Vet Coaching and Consulting in Ontario. Thank you, Dr. Best, for joining us today to talk about battling burnout. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. In an article that you wrote for Equimanagement, you defined burnout as a syndrome that is defined by three facets emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and low personal accomplishment. You also said, in thinking about the work we do, much of it is selfless work. We work tirelessly for the betterment of other people's horses, for a reward significantly less than our human counterpoints receive, and with increased risk of harm to ourselves. The selflessness is to be applauded to a certain extent. However, it can contribute to burnout because we believe that we must continue to meet the needs of our others before ourselves. If we are not meeting our own needs, the only ones we are harming are ourselves. So Dr. Best, if that is reality, what can veterinarians do? You know, I think that in the past, you know, number of years, one tremendous thing that has happened across sort of the different facets of the veterinary profession has been our willingness to talk about struggles, whether it's compassion fatigue, burnout, anxiety, general general struggles. I think it's wonderful that we're able to talk about, you know, many people's reality in our profession more often. I think that it's critical to remember that as we are understanding the extent to which individuals in our profession are struggling, that we don't normalize it to the point that we think, yeah, that's just going to be my life. And I think that in some ways, burnout is so common that we just sort of accept it. Oh, I'm really burnt out. And when someone tells you that, it's not like a stop point. It's not a, what, how can we fix it? It's just, yeah, me too. And, and I think that in itself is problematic. And I think that, you know, we can look to one of the simplest and I find helpful definitions of burnout, which is burnout occurs when perceived demands exceed perceived resources. And we're not going to get caught up in the word perceived because my perception of how much is being asked of me and how much I have to give on any given day is my reality. So we're not going to, well, you're not actually being or for someone else. Nope, that's my reality. And when I'm being asked more than I have to give, that can predispose me to burnout. And I think that one of the key pieces of appreciating that definition is that looking at the demand piece. Okay, so how do I manage if I feel like there are too many demands on me? And this can happen at work, just as it can happen at home or in community volunteer service kind of thing. It can happen in multiple facets of our life. Just, okay, so how do I manage those demands? Who's in charge of my to-do list? And it needs to be me. I'm in charge 
of deciding which demands, which requests, which appointments I see and how I manage my resources. I'm in charge of where my resources go. And taking charge of that, I appreciate can feel really hard, especially when, um, even if you're a solo practitioner, but clients are demanding things of you, or your receptionist is saying, people are demanding things of you, or your bosses are demanding things of you. And in some ways, that is each of those individuals fulfilling their role in your life. They're looking out for the well-being of their horses, for the well-being of clients, for the well-being of the practice. That's their role. And if we stop, we're like, cool, I get that. My role is to say, what are my resources? Do I have enough resources to meet that demand? And, you know, I'm, I'm towing around this space of boundaries. How do I put boundaries? How, how do I be intentional around how I'm going to live my life? And so when we start to say, hey, you're doing your job, I stop demonizing the people that are putting demands on me, which is helpful because when I demonize the people putting demands on me, then I get defensive and I'm hurt. And I'm, I'm really upset that, they, that would, they would dare ask that much of me. And it doesn't put me in a good spot to advocate for myself, in part because I'm feeling guilt and shame if I don't feel like I can meet those, I think I'm bad. I think I'm not good enough to meet the demands. Where in fact, I'm perfectly good enough and I'm able to make choices about where my resources go because that's my role in my life is to decide. And so when we look at resources, we need to consider how do I get resources? Like how do I get capacity to do my job, to care for my kids, to do volunteer work in my community, maybe even to have a hobby. And, you know, that looks like the, the really dynamic and complicated balance of, of self-care and not the wine and bubble bath self-care, which is part of it, but also, you know, exercising, budgeting, eating well, you know, taking care of our whole selves so that we have the time, mental capacity, focus, emotional energy, and so on to not only do our, our career job as equine veterinarians, but to be the parent we want to, to be the partner, to be engaged in our own lives in the way that we want. And so when we, when we work to manage our resources effectively, then hopefully we're in a better place to also assert boundaries around those demands. When we're really, when I'm really tapped out anyway, I often lose the ability to discern because I'm just like, I'm underwater. All of the demands are above me and I stop being choosy. I'm just like, I'm just trying. And I do a little fire engine as opposed to saying, what's a priority? What do I need to do? So I think that one of the key pieces in moving forward in our profession, knowing that our phones demand things of us all the time, like we are, we are demands are pervasive and ubiquitous in the world today is I've got to get in touch with myself. I've got to understand my resources and make good choices because it is a state of being that de the demands are always going to exceed those resources, but I don't need to be swamped by it. If I take charge, if I empower myself to run my life, 
then I can navigate away from burnout by using the resources in a way that's consistent with the life I want to have. And let's talk a little bit about, um, you had mentioned the three facets, emotional exhaustion. What, what is emotional exhaustion? So the three facets of burnout come from um, the most commonly used burnout inventory or sort of self-assessment um, done, by, done by Christina Maslach. And emotional exhaustion is really that sense of, I don't have any more emotional energy left to give. So when we think of being an equine veterinarian, it's that the tank is empty. I, I have a hard time um, behaving compassionately or empathetically with clients. Um, and I'm just really drained. I, I sort of can't go there. I'm like, but, you know, I need to go see this little pony and the pony is so loved and I just don't have the energy to manage, you know, the two twin boys that own the pony are so excited. I'm tired, right? But it's sort of that deep emotional tired, not just the physical exhaustion, which might resolve with a nap, but just that my, my emotional energy and my ability and sort of desire to connect with clients is diminished. And the second part, depersonalization. What, what does that really mean? So I think of this one and I can think back to back when I was a teenager, before, before vet school, before many things, we'd taken a horse to the referral clinic from the stable where I worked. And I got there and I, and I, I knew them a little bit. And I said, how is horse's name doing? And they said, oh, the emergency install 603. Instead of recognizing that the emergency install 603 was a very beloved school horse from our farm that had his own story that, you know, the day had its own story of obviously much stress because it was an emergency referral. For the person I was talking to, that horse was a number in a stall and was the emergency. So when we depersonalize, we lose the connection between our patients, our clients, the stories, the richness, and it is, you know, the animal that's there, the laminitis, the this, as opposed to all of the complexity that we all know is behind that. And when when we experience that depersonalization, again, you can probably see how it's tied into that emotional exhaustion, right? Hey, on a big bad day, maybe it is the colic, right? Because I can't go into the fold out at the farm, best friend, former young riders. Like I can't do all of that because it's so hard because I just don't have the energy. So it's the colic. So, you know, depersonalization and emotional exhaustion are sort of not quite endpoints, but they happen when we are experiencing burnout. They're signs that we are no longer able to be our best selves because we don't have any resources left. The resources that allow me to connect with my clients emotionally, to be compassionate and empathetic. The resources that allow me to see the depth and the whole story behind who I'm working with, I don't have those anymore. I've, sh I've started to shut down to conserve resources, right? Like, okay, well, I, you know, that part's not working. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna pull back because I just don't have any more to give. And the last one is one I, I don't really understand low personal accomplishment because 
oh my gosh, veterinarians are out there just giving 110%, you know, every day. So how can how, how can it be a low person low personal accomplishment? So it's important to remember that we see low personal accomplishment as part of burnout. Right? So if someone is burnt out, they're probably going to be emotionally exhausted. They're going to start to depersonalize and they're going to have a feeling of low personal accomplishment. And this is one of those moments where I'm going to sort of digress back to that perception is everything. It's not that someone isn't high achieving. It's not that their clients and patients aren't you know, doing well or happy. It's that they don't feel good about it. They don't feel good about the work that they're doing. In part, that can be due to, I know if I'm not able to connect with my clients and provide compassion, empathetic care, I don't feel great about that because that's important to me. I'm not being true to my authentic self. And so, you know, again, it becomes perception. If we're not able to get some of those rewarding pieces of our job back because we've we've pulled back so we don't have the resources, we aren't going to feel very good about our job. So it is that perception. It's how do I feel like I'm doing? And I mean, we've all at some point or another had that there's so much being asked of me and I don't have enough to do it. Hey, I'm, I'm a high achiever, man. And I, I know I'm in very, very good company in the veterinary profession. So if lots of things are being asked of me and I don't feel that I'm meeting those demands, I'm not living up to expectation, the expectations others have of me or those I have of myself, I'm not going to feel very good. Whether those expectations were realistic or not, I'm still not going to feel very good. And that's one of the, again, the really tough pieces of burnout that can that can trick us into not wanting to get help or to say what's going on because we feel like it's a failure of ourselves instead of, especially during COVID and many veterinary professionals truly are incredibly overwhelmed with cases and clients and patients that need care. Hey, th those, de like, those demands are unmeetable. They are unmeetable. It's not that I'm inadequate. The demands are unmeetable. And if we can sort of acknowledge that, even if it's in a tenuous way, we can move away from guilt and shame, which allows us to move positively forward. And my, my daughter is a vet tech at a multi-vet practice. It's a mixed animal practice. And they just added another vet. And with all the demand this year, she said, you know, our well services are scheduling out two, three months ahead now even though we've got, I think they've got six vets now. And it's like, wow. So, you know, Fluffy needs to go in or, you know, Old Blue, the gelding needs to come in for a dental or something. That may be November. And she is stressed about that because she's like, you know, I want to say yes, but we have no time slots. And it's, it's hard on the staff as well as the veterinarians. Decra Veterinary Products is proud to sponsor Equimanagement's The Business of Practice podcast. Decra's equine product line includes Osphos, Clotrinate Injection, Orthokine Vet IREP 10 and 60, Osteokon PRP, Equidone Gel, Thumperidone, the Vetivex line of parenteral fluids, Vicox EQ Joint Supplement, and a comprehensive line of topical dermatologic products. The recent addition of Zymeta, Diaperone Injection, further expands Decra's equine offerings. For more information about Decra's products, please visit decra-us.com.
www.thepowerofthenow.com. I think it's very hard on everyone. You know, I think frontline staff who speak to clients first and similarly with technicians who might be trying to help triage a case, you know, my day as a vet might be full and that is what it is. I might not know how many clients got turned away that day. I just know that I'm busy and feeling overloaded. So it is important to appreciate the impact of, frankly, the state of the industry on everybody in the team because that's that's their job, right? I know I know many reception teams that pride themselves on advocating for clients. Like we call them, I think, customer service representatives, sometimes tongue in cheek, but that's their job. Like they work on behalf of the client to get the client and the patient the care they need. And when they aren't able to do that, often the client is quite kind to me. They are not always as kind to the rest of the staff. And I think that, again, that contributes to, oh, I'm not doing my job very well. I need to distance myself from some of this because the resources I have, hey, I'm not able to meet all of these demands and the demands are getting really overwhelming. So talking as a team about, you know, we can provide the care that we can provide. We're doing the best that we can, you know, and, and helping everybody manage that because I walked into the clinic on Friday, looked at my schedule about, you know, 40 minutes after we opened. I said, I just want everyone to know that I can't have anything else today. And they looked at me, they're like, we already said that for you. And I was like, okay, but I just, I'm just saying this, we've, we've reached capacity. You know, if there's an emergency, it's going to need to go to the emergency clinic. And they're like, okay, we've got you. But again, how hard on that, on them is that? And at the end of the day, do we need to have a debrief where we can all celebrate, right? We can celebrate defending ourselves. We can celebrate upholding those boundaries and and discussing or debriefing difficult moments or interactions so the whole team is supported. Um, and not the whole team shares the burden, but it it it, it is that, hey, we are a supportive network, right? And we're all here for each other. We all made these decisions together. It's not any one person who isn't doing their weight or Oh, because Dr. Best wouldn't see any more patients. Everything was awful. No, Dr. Best said patient care is going to be compromised if she has to see any more patients today. So we made good decisions. We made good decisions for the patients that were booked in and good decisions for anyone else that needed to be seen to make sure that they were then able to get the best care possible. So we've been talking a lot about recognizing burnout in yourselves, and we've just been talking a little bit about staffs and probably colleagues. How do you start to recognize the signs of burnout in people around you? I think in some ways it is easier to recognize burnout in those around you. I think because self-awareness, I think, is often lost with busyness. We get busy, we get tied up, and we stop paying attention to ourselves. Just like how many days do we go without eating lunch or a bathroom break? We can put our own needs on hold, and we do. I think when we're looking towards others, it's important to look for behavior changes. So when they start behaving um, in a way that's inconsistent with who you know them to be, it's a valuable time to check in. And I think that in... All teams, when, and this can only be done, obviously, in a team environment that 
is positive with a culture of well-being. I appreciate that in many situations there's bullying in clinics and tough things, but if the clinic environment permits, I think, or frankly, depending on if there are a couple of people on your team that you trust well, empowering those individuals to give you feedback or to let you know, because we often only realize how rough things are when we're on the floor unable to move. We don't often like, and I'm notorious for this, like I will hum along and be doing really well. And then I will be starving, like starving, cannot do another thing until I've eaten. At some point I was a little bit hungry. At some point I was moderately hungry. At some point I was really hungry before I was starving, but I did not notice any of those earlier moments. I noticed <clears throat> I am not functionally hungry right now. And the same thing can happen with burnout, with our perception of ourselves, with our perception of our, our performance, our client interactions, our relationships. So it can be important if there is someone you trust on your team to say, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you would be willing to let me know in a compassionate, gentle, and supportive way if you notice that I, and if you know in yourself what some warning sign behaviors are, let them know. So probably one of mine is, if I stop saying thank you, something is probably going askew. Because I'm usually quite good at thank you. And that would be a good time to tell me. Because it's not when I've snapped at someone, which you know comes a while after stopping saying thank you. It's, hey, I noticed, you know, like, how are you doing? And like, actually a, a stop. How are you doing? Stop and assess because I've noticed this change. And sometimes we do need someone to call us out when we snap, again, gently, compassionately, supportively. Right. But we need those moments. And so the more we can have su supports of self-awareness, that really helps. And if we can have a bit of a team, okay, well, you've asked, and the asking is really powerful. So when I used to have students in my truck a lot, we had a code. This is the first thing I did with any new student. I'd say, if you see me make a mistake, if you see me drawing up the wrong medication, if you have an idea from vet school, if you have a question you think is critical, I want you to speak to me, I'd like to speak to you at the truck. Or I need help at the truck. Truck became our keyword. And I promised them that I would stop what I was doing and I would walk to the truck and we could have a private moment away from the client so that if I had, so no one lost face. So I provided them a mechanism to share that tough information with me or to have, you know, a student moment. And that helped both of us. And so we can do the same thing around changes in behavior, concerns about coping, concerns about burnout, compassion, fatigue, et cetera. We can develop that language and say, hey, we're, we're working on the same team here. If someone watches me drawing up xylazine instead of lidocaine, I do want to know before I inject it in the horse. I do. Um, do I necessarily want them to point that out in front of a really wonderful client with a high dollar horse? Well, perhaps I prefer that information be delivered privately. So create mechanisms for support, knowing that we need them, right? Knowing that at some point we've all drawn up the wrong medication. We'd like, I, I'd like to pretend I haven't, but I have. Right. But we hope that mistake doesn't get perpetuated because 
you know, and you and I spoke about this. It's one of my favorite analogies from driving school when I was 16. When we drive on the highway, whatever the speed limit or above is, we get really used to going quite fast in our cars. And then we get off and we are in a residential neighborhood and the speed limit is at least half of what it was on the highway. But we're still probably humming along pretty fast. And it takes conscious effort to get used to now going a much slower speed in a residential area. And there is a cost, potentially financially, of a speeding ticket, um, much more seriously if we cause an accident because we're going too quickly, if there's a child on the road. But there's a cost to not noticing how fast we are going. And that happens with burnout. At various times in everyone's career, we have been in the fast lane, like big achieving, internship, residency, vet school, you know, just the throes of working family life, breeding season, we've all been there. And at some point, things do slow down, but we don't always see that. And if we don't see that the world has slowed down or we have a choice to slow down, we're gonna keep pushing ourselves and we run the risk of accidents happening. So, you know, engaging your team is basically like having those little signs that flash and tell you how fast you're going. Yeah. And so, you know, you can work on installing your own flashing signs, right? By putting reminders in your phone, using an app, asking for feedback. You, we can use, you know, our phones to support our self-awareness, but we do need to be intentional. And so like, this is my invitation to, if you're not driving and you're in a safe place, like hit pause in the podcast and be like, how can I do that? Spend three minutes and think about how can I support my self-awareness of what my resources are and how I manage the demands that come down the pipe so that I don't end up in a place where I'm not my authentic self. I don't feel good about my job. And I might feel so trapped that I think about leaving the profession. I need a leave of absence. Uh, I go on, you know, I start taking anxiety medication because I think there's something wrong with me as opposed to it just being the frenzy of life. I'm really supportive of anxiety medication. I, I really am, but I, I want that self-awareness to grow up what's actually happening instead of hitting all of these emergency buttons that may or may not actually work to help us manage the demands that are coming down the pipe. And you and I had talked about something before we started the podcast that I thought was very pertinent to this. You talked about, oh, but my my job, they keep demanding all of this of me. So Let's, let's define those roles for just a little bit. The job and you. This one is really hard. This one is really, really hard. And it, you know, I think back to a student I once had who shared with me about her surgery rotation and final year. We are all probably hearkening back to our own horrifying small animal surgery rotations and how busy they were and awful. Yes, I'm, I'm with you there. And the student was telling me that she didn't get to go to the bathroom or eat during about a 10 hour surgery. Again, this is probably not a foreign experience. And the student was really upset at the individuals in charge of the rotation. And I can appreciate that. And at first everyone in the group was like, yeah, that's awful. Cause it's easy to be upset in that situation. And again, small animal surgeons, hopefully are not listening. 
um, so give them a bad reputation. Many of them are quite nice. Um, but the tricky part is the student never asked to go to the bathroom and the student never asked to eat. We cannot expect other people to meet my biological needs. I am in charge of meeting my biological needs. No one else. It's not their job. It's my job to say, this is what I need to be okay. It's my job to say, this is where my resources are going. It is the job of my workplace to say, to look out for the success of the workplace. So to say, could you stay late? Could you see this client? Could you do this? And often we demonize that request. I think I said that earlier, right? We feel like that demand, we, especially when we're just feeling overwhelmed, right? We get defensive and we lash out, like, how could you ask me that? I'm, I'm re okay, how could you ask? Because that person is looking out for the success of the practice or the well-being of the practice or the client or the patient. And it's my job to say, I can't manage that. That's, that's just not something I can do. That is a simplification because in many times after a no, there is guilt or shame or blame or you have to, or we worry about our job security. I appreciate that it is idealized, maybe a little pie in the sky to think that I can just say no and things are gonna be okay. But it is really critical to appreciate that I'm the only one it's my job in life, it's my first job to look out for myself. Long-term, yes, practice success is supported by looking after the employees and supporting the well-being of employees, 100%. That is a different, that is a different podcast. Um, it is also critical to appreciate that, you know, everyone is juggling these demands. So, it is okay for you to say, huh, that's a demand, as opposed to, oh my God, a demand, I can't. Just say, huh, that's a demand. Okay, can I meet that, yes or no? No, I can't do that. And we can set some of the, the panic, which is frankly, it's also, it's a stress response. It's our reptilian brain saying fight, flight, or freeze probably heard me talk about it some other point in time. It is, it, is a, it is strictly a survival. I cannot possibly do that, right? And we sort of lose our emotional regulation. Again, these things happen more and more, more burnt out. So how do we just move to, hey, that's your job. I'm not gonna freak out at you for doing your job. I admittedly may need to look for a new job if you don't accept my no. And I feel guilt, shame, I'm unable to say no. Those are all bad things that we need to manage. You know, again, workplace dynamics aside, if we can move away from demonizing the ask and just saying that's the ask, can I meet it, yes or no? And can I meet it today, not every day, but just in this moment, can I meet it? Then again, we put ourselves in a better position to safeguard our well-being, enjoy our profession, have a sustainable career, and and, and have, a, have a, the rest of our life that we really like to. Wow, okay, so that, that right there probably is an amazing thing that should go up in lights in every pra veterinary practice. So 
that's a, a perfect thing to say. And again, to quote you, if we are not meeting our own needs, the only ones we're harming are ourselves. So it's up to individual practitioners, techs, staff members to understand this. That doesn't mean it that you should feel guilty for being lazy or, you know, avoiding work. I mean, that's not the point. The point is to protect yourself and set the boundaries so that you can have a long and satisfying career. I think it's critical for us all to acknowledge that as amazing and phenomenal as we are, we are not superheroes. We are human beings and we have a finite capacity. And while we may be able to function on with very little resources or very little gas in the tank, like we can go a long way. Our reserve tank is big. My husband would like to test that, you know, like how far can I push myself here? But there's no medal, there's no reward, there's no trophy, and there is a long-term cost. And there are smaller incremental costs along the way. How much more likely am I to pull up the wrong medication when I'm burnt out? We know from human medicine, you are more likely to make medical errors. If I'm not connected with the client, how does that impair their trust in me, their willingness to get the horse the care that I believe is best. There are other costs that we don't often see that you know are smaller, that may not impact the outcome of a case markedly, but they may. But thinking that our well-being or how we shepherd our resources could possibly impact our clients and our patients is so is so terrifying that we really pushed away and we refuse to acknowledge that as a possibility. We know from human medicine it is a possibility and it happens. And so I do think again it's critical to you know me on Friday morning I can't see any more patients today because I am scared I'm going to make a mistake or I'm not going to be able to dedicate an appropriate amount of time and energy to these clients and these patients to do a good job. That's my line. And that is me doing my best as a veterinarian to ensure that they get the best care. You know, did someone else need to be seen? Yes. Did someone else maybe have to wait a long time? Yes. But just like in human medicine, that happens. Okay. We can't, you know, there. And so I think it's, it's really scary to consider consequences. Do it for a moment and then leave it there. But remembering that we are all human and you are amazing and you as an amazing human deserve to feel like an amazing human, to take care of yourself like you are the most valuable and precious tool that you have because you are for every part of your life, not just your clients and your patients, but for your family, for your community. For, for every part of your life that you're in. Well, thank you again, Dr. Best. I always enjoy sitting down and, and talking with you and hearing your words of wisdom that I think anybody can apply to their lives. Thank and we you. want to thank our audience for joining us for the Business of Practice podcast. And I give a big thanks to our sponsor, Decra Veterinary Products. 
We invite you to visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network, such as iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher, to hear each episode of The Business of Practice. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can call me, you can send me an email at kbrown at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC. 